Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Listeners, new listeners, welcome to the latest episode of Draft Strickland. It's me, your boy, your disappointed host, Prez. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Presidente. Why am I disappointed? Well, that's because the Knicks lost the Super Bowl. If you're wondering, Prez, that doesn't make any sense. What on earth do you mean? I'll tell you. They lost the Super Bowl because they beat the Kings who they're directly in ping pong ball competition with. I'll allow it though, because Tibbs let uh, some of our young Knicks flourish. But um, even though we're on a two game win streak, I suspect we're still destined for a top 10 pick here. So we're not going to change the agenda for this pod for today, nor for the foreseeable future. We're going to continue journeying through college and, Seeing uh, or discussing a couple of awesome prospects, um, conference tournaments about to start up, March Madness is about to start up. So to help me look at some prospects from the ACC, I have a very special guest today. He is a writer for accsports.com covering ACC hoops and the draft. His pieces on ACC prospects, if you're into the draft stuff and you want to read about it, Definitely check that out. Really thorough, great stuff. Uh, He covers the Hornets, uh, that NBA team, for the BuzzBeat podcast. Um, He's a color commentator for some ACC games, so you might see him on your TV or computer. It's uh, Brian Geisinger. You can find him at Twitter at B-G-E-I-S underscore bird. Give him a follow. All right. Well, before we get started, I do need to mention that this website, Strickland, does have a Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this podcast every Friday, which normally also includes Prez. Uh, it also gets you access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. In addition to that, you get access to the Strickland Discord, where you can talk about the Knicks all the time. You can even talk about other things, like the MLB lockout that or is it a strike or a lockout who knows who cares uh it might be coming to an end today uh in addition to that there's nothing else actually that's all you get from that tier but there's a nine dollar tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful jack huntley and matthew miranda two of the best basketball writers dare i say writers of any anything out there uh you also get access to strick and roll my solo pod that I do every other week, where I yell even more about the Knicks. But sometimes I talk about football. That was fun. Uh, there are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those get you access to additional benefits like merchandise discounts, potentially uh, hosting a podcast even one day alongside yours truly. You also get to listen on watch parties. 
uh, and other good stuff. Uh, but whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, let's talk about the next. Brian, what's going on, man? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying uh, March Madness, conference tournaments, NBA still going on, and and uh, like really grateful that you uh, brought me on. Glad we've 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 gone back and <laughs> forth on Twitter uh, a fair amount. So I'm excited that we could actually uh, have a longer conversation on the on the pod here. Yeah, man. I'll tell you, every year I feel like I'm like one of the old dudes on draft Twitter at this point, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, like every year, I, I'm like, what? What random? Not random. What? Pe- what other folks am I gonna stumble into mm-hmm. who have great content or you know a new perspective or something like that that mm-hmm. are gonna be really enjoyable for me to follow? And you're definitely. I, I know you didn't start this year, but you <laughs> came on my radar this year, and just the combo of the ACC stuff because there's so many good ACC draft prospects this year. And then the Hornets and the Hornets, like, obviously this is a Knicks spot. I'm a Knicks fan, but the Hornets are just like, who hates the Hornets? This Hornets team is just so, even though they kind of be struggling a little bit, like it's, <laughs> it's just a fun group of guys, the young yeah. guys, the middle aged guys, even the older guys, like they're all fun. So I enjoy the the tweets and the highlights and, and all that stuff. So, so thank yeah. you for blessing my timeline. Happy to do it, and happy that the Hornets are like interesting because most of my time covering that team was sort of just like wandering the desert. You know, you're like watching Spencer Hawes and Frank Kaminsky oh, play God. at the same time, and you're like, "Wow, I'm just I have but so few precious days on this planet, and I'm spending hours of my life watching you know Roy Hibbert post ups or whatever." Um, so it's cool to be in this part now, where like you know they they were getting fun, and then they go and you know move up to three in the in the 2020 lottery like that was a stroke of luck that just altered the course of the franchise and golden state takes wiseman too. lamella oh falls gosh. and it just, it just <laughs> everything that was that was 18 months ago you know crazy. and it just it's nuts how fast things change and yeah like in lamello is kind of one of those guys like he's really good and he just sort of like bridges the gap between people who are like um you know, just like I, I think there are a lot of like different sects of like, you know, NBA Twitter and draft Twitter that like LaMelo based off like there are numbers people that probably like him a lot. There are people that are probably eye test people. And then there's those who sort of like, you know, enjoy the blend. And I think LaMelo is, you know, is uh, is fun and, and good for, for all different all of those different groups, you know. Um, so, Miles is the same way. Yeah. Miles is I mean, his his development is incredible. You know, you're definitely, like, he'll obviously be in the, you know, strong consideration for most improved this year. I don't, I don't know if he'll win. Cause there's some other, you know, guys like Garland and, um, uh, Simons, like there's some other, like, you know, good candidates. So I don't know if he's like a shoe in for it or whatever, but, and you could see it coming la- like the last third of the season a year ago. And, uh, but yeah, what he's done has just been, um, pretty special. And it like it, that, that too is like changing perhaps like the altering the course of the Hornets to an extent, because it looks like they have more than one sort of like foundational guy on the roster that like, you know, Bridges and LaMelo are the two that you're building around, not just uh, uh, ball going forward. 
it's fun, and we'll get to the draft guys uh, shortly. But it's funny how like <laughs> the timing of your your hot streak as a most like getting on the radar of everybody matters. Like Miles was like the first guy to just blow up the spot and just be yeah. killing and surprising, and then yeah, you know he cooled off and. Garland has kind of had a steady beat, and then Simons came on the scene once Dame got hurt, and I don't think he's he's quite on the level of Simons or even Miles just because of the efficiency. But like RJ's on his way to like finishing yeah. the season, scoring a zillion points, and incredible, shit like that. <laughs> incredible what RJ's been doing the last couple of weeks, and um, like I genuinely love, like as some like I was fortunate enough to get to cover RJ when he was at Duke. Oh, yeah. I, live, I live in I live in Raleigh, so. And I've been credentialed at Duke for probably five or six years now. So I got to be around that 18, 19 Duke team, which was like, yeah, that was like a the, like the highlight of my career. Certainly one of them getting to be around uh, Zion, obviously, but Trey and, and Trey Jones and who played pretty well for the Spurs against the Hornets the other night and, uh, and RJ. So I'm, I'm happy. Like RJ is a guy that I had number three on my 2019 board and, uh, so, anyways, I'm happy to see him playing like he is now. We'll get you. Uh, we'll get you back on here in the summer yeah. once Zion comes back and we reunite. <laughs> we reunite the band. <laughs> That's right. With a uh, cam with Cam there too. You got exactly. The, you got all all the 2018 Duke recruiting classes there, minus uh, Trey Jones and uh, Joey Baker, I guess. Yeah, whatever Joey Baker's up to these days. <laughs> and then I want to get you back. I'm only half kidding when I say this, like. I so I used to write a posting and toasting where I uh did some draft stuff there and yeah one one player I always loved and was always fascinated with and like it became a grim fascination was, I loved Dennis Smith Jr. and <laughs> I, I like if you go to posting and toasting and like there's many like 5000 word comments of yeah. me just investigating, like, what is actually happening here? What Was there an injury that nobody talked about? Like, why did his shooting form change? Like, all this, like, yeah. I could do, like, if somebody was on Spotify, was like, Prez, there's a 10-part investigative true crime <laughs> podcast on what happened to Dennis Smith Jr., I would 100% listen to every single episode. Yeah, it, it makes me, it, the stuff with DSJ makes me just, like, like, so much stuff, it's like, you know, we can talk about these prospects all we want and and what they do well or what they, what they're bad at. And we can talk about different like development pathways and all of this stuff, but so much of it is like dependent on like situation too. And it just, it does seem like he got, he got, he was at Dallas at a weird time, you know, and and maybe that doesn't explain away the rest of his career, but you know, it took another guy that I covered in college, Wendell Carter jr. Like it took him some time. Like it, it feels like it took, years to deprogram from Jim Boylan. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, but like, look how good Wendell's been this year. It's awesome. But yeah, he just had to get in a, in a situation that was going to be better for his development. And I mean, I think ultimately things would have, you know, it, he and Billy Donovan could have worked out, but yeah, he just like, yeah, he just takes time. You have a guy like you would just have a, a, a giant thumb, like Jim Boylan, just yelling at you for not, you know, like, boxing out on a free throw or whatever. And yeah, just like stuff like that probably wears on you. So I do think that was an element with DSJ because like the athleticism is just like so, so good. I, I do think in that rookie year, what I do remember of him, and it's weird to think about Dallas like pre-Luca because it's just like, it's like the Hornets pre-Lamello to an mm-hmm. extent. It's the just before like, times. <laughs> everything has changed so quickly, but 
I do feel like in that 17, 18 season, he highlight chased a lot, you know, and, um, and, and again, that was just probably like a weird aspect of his, uh, of his development curve. But, um, you know, it's, it's cool that he's still like, you know, can crack an NBA roster or whatever, but certainly has not had the career that like, I think many in, in North Carolina and those around the ACC sort of envisioned Dennis to have. Yeah. I mean, he was on the verge of being out of, he like, when he was on the Knicks, he was very yeah. much like not an NBA point guard. So I'm glad he's yeah. getting it together a little bit, but that's enough yeah. about DSJ. <laughs> We're on to more uh, shinier, newer toys now. Right, um, right. We got five, five dudes we got to cover today and we'll start with the uh, highest profile among them. One to AJ Griffin, uh, the, Somewhat enigmatic, somewhat high profile, very talented, built like a Mack truck. Yeah. Six foot six, seven foot wingspan, however <laughs> many pounds. I'm a guess 220 or something, maybe more. Somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my first question for you, like, well, let me let me set the stage real quick, then I'll ask you a question. So for folks who haven't really tuned in to AJ Griffin, you know, you might not have seen him on all the highlights because he's a little lower on the pecking order. He didn't start in the mm-hmm. starting lineup to begin the year. He functions primarily as a floor spacer for some of the more uh, ball dominant guys and post up scorers and ball handlers and stuff like that. And he's really good at it. He's shooting like 45% or something from three. And he uh, spent a lot of the season near 50%. He was in the news. Before he came to Duke, uh, he's the son of Adrian Griffin, the coach he spent last year with his pops and the Raptors in Tampa, and he got injured the year before. So we haven't seen him hoop as much before this year compared to some of his peers, which also kind of uh, added a layer of mystery. He was like one of the top ranked guys and, um, you know, can he recover from the injury? And then we didn't see him and then he shows up to Duke coming off the bench. So it's been a bit of a journey. Um, when did he first come onto your radar and what was uh, your impressions of him? Yeah, so AJ's a guy that, as someone who has to follow uh, ACC basketball recruiting, was a guy that probably landed on my radar when he committed to Duke. But as you sort of were just fleshing out, he basically didn't play basketball his like, last two years of high school. Um but I was sort of aware of some of the stuff he had done with, I think it was the summer of 2019 with one of the, the one of, with one of the like junior USA teams and just some people that I really trust that talk about uh, preps writing that are, you know, maybe like sort of like less mainstreamy, but they, they just raved about Griffin. So I couldn't wait to see him at Duke. And then in late October, mid to late October, so just a couple of weeks before the season was supposed to start. And again, you know this Griffin's a guy that he's missed a lot of time with the, all these with these knee injuries and yeah, knee, ankle, back, lots of yeah, things. everything. Yeah. And these are like these are like bat, like you know, back and knee. You hear those names, and you're like, you get queasy quickly. So like, you know, one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about with AJ is like it, the, the medicals that come out pre-draft you know, or they won't come out to us, but the ones that teams look at, those are going to be really important. Um, but so I wasn't sure when we would see him because he got hurt and there was no, Duke didn't put out a timeline of like, oh, hey, we're going to have him back by this game or whatever. But the Duke staff said that AJ just like attacked the recovery process, right? And I remember preseason, they played a scrimmage up in DC against Villanova. 
Damn, and, I should have been there. That's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah I, 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 dropped, I dropped the ball. Should have done. I don't know if they. I don't know how many people were like. It was like in the Wizards practice facility, you know. And uh, like, like the I didn't hear any of the scores from those games, but I had heard that Duke had done. I had I like what I had heard was that Duke had played very well in those games. AJ didn't play in those in those in those contests. They they did a couple different like scrimmage games, but. One of the, of the some of the video that got leaked out of from you know from Duke's official social media accounts, you could see on the on the second practice court behind where the scrimmage is happening, you could see this very muscular guy in a twenty one Duke practice jersey going through drills, and apparently he just recovered quickly enough, and they felt like they could play him, but through that first month of the season, like he was. I mean, he was just like a backup four for Paolo Bancaro, like almost exclusively. And, you know, would would play 10 minutes a game or so and, and had some nice moments. There was one game in the middle of November, though, against Lafayette. And, it, I mean, Duke beat them by a, a billion points. It was completely irrelevant. But, like, he... He just, like, took the... He hit four threes it late in the game. And there was one point... I think it was I think it was Trevor Keels, but someone tried to throw AJ like two thirds of the court long, like alley oop pass in transition. And Griffin didn't finish it, but he, I'm telling you, to see him jump up to catch this ball, like I hadn't seen him. Like I don't think he had had a dunk yet at this point of the season. Maybe he had had one, but he, I, I mean, he was all, as as high off the ground as anyone as I, I've seen. You know, fly through Cameron Indoor. Like I was at this game. Uh, sitting courtside and um you know at, it was really for him though it was after the ohio state game he only played like a couple minutes in that he only played a couple minutes against gonzaga too with with duke uh winning out in vegas but when he came back like when they came back for like the the post big acc big 10 challenge part of their schedule all of a sudden aj was you know a, a big piece of the rotation and he started playing a lot more and so South Carolina State, App State, Elon, and then the, the Virginia Tech game, I think, was really like a, a sort of like um, uh, like a breakthrough game for him this season, because that's one of the first games that Duke played their like small ball lineup for extensive minutes. So they took Mark Williams off the court and they put Paolo Bancaro at center. And all of a sudden they're playing with Wendell Moore Jr., Jeremy Roach, Trevor Keels, A.J. Griffin as like your small ball four and then um, Paolo Bancaro as, as your, like, de facto center. And, like, since then, you know, AJ's just been a fixture in the lineup. Two games later, he was a starter. He hasn't left the lineup since then. And, you know, his physical profile is jarring. Like, I went to their exhibition game against Winston-Salem State in the end of October. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, 6'6", six, 7-foot six, wingspan, 225 pounds or what have you. Like there aren't many like 18-year-olds built like that like on planet Earth. And then all of a sudden you see what he can do with the basketball, right? In the the step back moves and the 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 ease, the fluidity with his that comes with his handle. Um I wouldn't say he has like a super tight handle, but just like the loopy crossovers and the space creation like all of that stuff and you just you know many guys his size and age just don't move like that. And um, yeah, I mean, he just kept it rolling since then. I've been beyond impressed with him as a player. Um, he's arguably the best shooting prospect for the 2022 draft. He's shooting above 48% from deep this season. Um, and that's even after he had a bit of a clunker. 
against against UNC the other day um, with them, you know, putting Leaky Black, who's a, you know, I guess like a deep like a, a, a deep draft prospect or whatever, really a good defender that they UNC put on on AJ to sort of take him out. But I love what he does um, away from the basketball, and I think. I think the development context that Duke, and I'd be curious to know what, how you feel about this. I think the development context that Duke has been interesting and probably beneficial to an extent because he's gotten to play as a lower usage guy. Like he's probably around 18, like, yeah, 18% usage this season. Um, getting to play off of Wendell Moore Jr. and Bancaro and Keels and Roach and Mark Williams and, He's just very solid about re- of like relocating for jumpers. Like he's not static, just stash him in the corner. Like great at like shake action, relocations, sprinting into wing threes in transition. And I also think Duke has, since like the middle of the season, has started to like run stuff for him to get him going off the basketball. Floppy action, baseline runner looks, these, you know, wide angle pin downs, like certain stuff like that to get Griffin moving into space. And I think he's used done a nice job using some of that stuff to get downhill, which for him is big because, you know, the the, the stuff at the rim with him hasn't been like amazing this season. Um, although the flashes I think have been have been pretty good. So yeah, Griffin is a guy that's been on my radar for a while. But I'll be honest with you, if we had had this conversation three months ago, I wouldn't have. I just assumed like I don't know if we're going to get to see the real real version of him in college. You know what I mean? And then when the calendar flipped to December, um, I don't know. I mean, Swit, like he, he just started to come on, uh, looked healthy and has just played unbelievable basketball, uh, since then. So you hit the, the million dollar question, which is like, what's the real version of AJ Griffin? Because even with, even with his ridiculous shooting and his great profile and, and his touch, right? Like, so it's not just threes. He's over 40% on long twos. He's like 76 yeah. from the line and solid around the rim. Uh, had it up right here. Uh, 60, uh, nope, that's true shooting. Yeah, 68% around the rim. So he's, he's, he's got the touch there. It's just yeah. like you said, um, you know, his hand, he, he, the way I describe him and a lot of guys coming into the league is um, they have moves, but the handle's not tight. So they have moves, but not handle. So he has the space creation, he has the crossovers to generate the step back and the sidestep and even to get a little bit of advantage driving, but he's not like some downhill demon De'Aaron Fox type or something like that. Yeah. So um, the, but the question I get the most from people is like, he was like a lot of guys, you know, the, the hyperbole, the, the YouTube mixtapes, all that stuff. And, you know, especially you're talking a 16 year old, if you go back a couple years, before he dropped off the radar for a second, like he was expected to be like a nuclear athlete and he's Mm -hmm. shown that he's a very good athlete and a functional one, but not necessarily drive and dunk on you in traffic or sprint down the court faster than you. Like you mentioned the alley-oop, you know, a lot of guys have that open court athleticism. I remember the videos of Zion and RJ at Duke having um, a contest of who had better dunks from the free throw line. And, you know, at first, you, nowadays you think RJ and you're like, what? Dunk from the free throw line? It's like, yeah, <laughs> in the open court, he can do that. But it's just he, he different was, in a crowd. He was a, he was a monster in transition in college, right. too. Monster. Yeah, and he's, he's finally becoming a monster in transition in the league. Yeah. And, like, 
so it's different in a crowd and you know no no prospect is perfect for the most part so it's fine especially when you shoot like that but i don't know i i find myself wondering like is is this the 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 athleticism we get if you if we pick if aj griffin falls to the knicks and you know if if the answer is yes then that's actually it's not the end of the world because he's still really good at other stuff like Mm -hmm. shooting and the touch and you know similar to rj in that like okay he needs a screen sometimes to get to the hoop that's not the end of the world right like and then on defense um I'm, i'm curious what you think of his defense but when i've watched him you know he's sometimes falls asleep but all the 18 year old dudes falls asleep and he's also had moments you know people talk about like handle flashes or passing flashes well i've seen off-ball defense flashes where he's like oh shit i see i see what's happening before it happens and he'll like go across the court to do a rotation that you know most people don't even realize is necessary because it's a future thing that he has to consider and he just sees the play unfolding so you know i don't know if he's going to be some all defense type but if he can hone that with his physical tools i feel like he's going to be a solid defender so if even if you say the athleticism's like solid but not amazing you're still talking like a strong toolsy wing a power wing who shoots the light out and generally my view is if a player has moves but not handle you know everyone tightens their handle after a couple of years in the league so I'd be really surprised if he can't at minimum get a couple bully ball hoops per game. So again, like if that's the worst case, then shit, right? Like, I guess that's why he's in the convo for like fourth, third, yeah. fifth, sixth or whatever. So, yeah. um, yeah. but yeah, what what do you think about the, the athleticism stuff and the defense? Yeah. So here's, here's what I'll say athletically. I do think he's still, and I think some of this is like, I mean, this is me just projecting my own thoughts, but like, sure. I do wonder if, you know, because of the recovery from the injuries, like I think he still plays pretty like loose and free and he flies around and, you know, he plays hard, like no doubt about it. I do sometimes think when he has like a, it looks like, oh, maybe AJ's got like an angle to the, hoop. <laughs> like you'd like to see him just like, you know, hit hundred miles per hour and dunk on somebody. There's like less of that, you know, like, I feel like he, he doesn't quite have that. I think, I do think my my hope, I guess, is that he's just being tentative, right? And that, like, the more he gets to play on the other side of being uh, healthy, then, you know, knock on wood, then the more that's just going to, like, come online, right? And he's got the shooting and the step-back creation to play off of, right? So he's got these things that he can use. You talked about this. He has these things that he can use to check, to to create the advantage. It's like making sure that he has, like, the burst and like the intensity to sort of like take to capitalize on that. Um, Griffin, like a Bart site has him down for seven dunks this season. Um, as I said, this is someone that has uh, charted and clipped every Duke <laughs> game, uh, not just for this season, but for like five or six years now, but I have Griffin down for eight dunks this season. That sounds about right. I feel like half yeah. of them were like the last 10 days. Yeah, they pretty much. And of those eight, six of them came off cuts. One of them came in transition. And by the way, I also use, I use um like putback dunks. I just refer to those as off cut too, even though I know it's not identical, but it's so, close enough. So yeah, yeah for, for, for my, for my accounting purposes, it, it helps me. And then I have one as a pick and roll ball handler that came to, it came against UNC during the win in chapel Hill, but it was still sort of like a scramble situation. So like Griffin didn't have a single like 
lot like in against a half court defense, like a set half court defense, because the the one the pick and roll one against UNC came when UNC was like trapping. Um, no, no, like half court dunk off a dribble against like a set defense. Like hasn't had one of those yet this season. But I have seen, especially when he's you see it some when he's like attacking closeouts. And when he's like curling off down screens, I think he has gotten a little more aggressive in that, that like inside of like 10 to eight feet space of like shooting runners and using his size and his frame um, to like to power through guys. He's not like incapable of doing that. Right. And I, I think as he gets more and more comfortable, it's like, you just, it's like, you know, his muscles are real. They're not like made of <laughs> balloons. You know what I mean? It's like, he's really strong. Um, so I, I'm sure it's just like, th- this is why ultimately for AJ, it's like, as long as the medicals give you like a, a, you know, a thumbs up or double thumbs up or whatever, it's like, and he, you know, long-term he can stay healthy. It's like, I think so much of this other stuff is just going to come online. Um, you know, the shot is one of the, it, we can talk about, like, I think when you talk Griffin, you have to talk about his jumper. Like it's, it's beautiful, like incredible. The, 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 it's he shoots one of the softest shots you've ever seen. And I'm talking, I mean that on like runners from like nine feet. And I mean that on like 26 foot, you know, step back threes, just like when he shoots these threes with his like Jeff Bagwell batting stance and all that, like he, he, uh, the ball goes up and it's like, where else would the ball go? But in very gently, 50% of the time (laughs) in like, it's, it's just crazy. And, um, and yeah, I love this. Someone did the side by side comparison of his shot form to the Bagwell batting stance. And I, that's like one of maybe the, one of the funniest like side by side sports images I've ever seen. So like he has this kind of like weird wide shooting base and the foot, the feet are maybe like a, you know, a little, I don't know how you feel about like having like split foot shooting. I don't think that that's that big of a deal. I do think the the base is like something to, to consider. My goes- hot take, my I have two hot takes about that. Well, I guess I don't know. I'll let you tell me if they're hot take. The first yeah. one is I was watching, I was scrolling through Instagram today as one does, and I noticed a video of Donovan Mitchell doing some training, and he has a very like his stance is very wide and I never quite noticed it. So there's, it's not like unprecedented. Like if relative to Donovan Mitchell, who's six feet tall, right? Like, so also jacked, but like six feet tall. So very similar. And then I was looking at videos of him, you know, high school senior, and it wasn't quite as pronounced for AJ, for AJ Griffin as it, as it is now. So part of me wonders, I mean, I've, I've personally, I, I had ankle surgery for like janky ligaments and I've been in and out of PT for a while. So I, I wonder, my conspiracy theory is that like the wider base is to help a little bit compensate and protect uh, his knees and his yeah. like lower body a little bit, which I mean, shit, if, if he's shooting 50% and preventing injury, then good job, AJ Griffin yeah, and Duke yeah. medical team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way to go. It does. It does seem like the, the Duke like med staff has done a pretty good job with both AJ and Paolo this year, because like, do you, you remember the start of the season when Van Caro kept cramping up mm-hmm. and then they Duke staff found out that he was, what he was losing, what seven pounds of like water per game or something like that. Something nuts. So, 
they like uh, you know adjusted his diet and or his pregame you know drinking consumption or whatever and it's like wow all right that's a good job but like you, right. you guys earned your money congratulations um <laughs> but the uh like the I don't like I I'll be honest with you I'm like mostly unconcerned with Griffin's shot form and like I think even in even in one on one situations because he has the step back it's like he's still going to be able to create that space like enough space and I think. I think he has he like he's long enough. We talked about that seven foot wingspan, and he's fluid enough as a shooter that he can still get it off in tight windows. My the only thought I would have would be, I think there's like potent there's upside for with him as like a movement shooter too, and we've seen some of it this year. To be clear, but even sometimes when like he'll come off like a, a down screen, like Duke runs floppy for him or whatever, he'll still need to like catch face up, and you'll see him almost want to like take a dribble and like step back as opposed to just like catching and turning on his inside foot, you know what I mean? And just like just getting a, getting a three up. So I do wonder if you want him to, if a, if an NBA team visualizes him being a guy that part of his offense is going to be, well, we put you in off ball actions and we run you off flares and we run you off down screens. I, my guess is that you may have to clean up the shot a little bit if that's the case, but like I, you may not need to. I just, that's something that would maybe streamline the process like a little bit. So I think that's worth at least pointing out. And then defensively, yeah, there are lapses and there are times where he just gets like, you know, he'll, he'll look like he's just like stuck in cement defensively um, and, and guys will just cross over and, and go right by him. I don't worry about that too, too much. You mentioned the stuff he does as a team defender. I think that's pretty good. And I think even the last couple of games like Pitt, Pittsburgh and UNC, he did some nice stuff as like a help defender for Duke and like is a guy that will will block a shot to you will use his length and will block a shot and like just is can frequently be in the right place as like a backside, you know, team defender. Um, and I do think like for the most part, like when he has the, he has the ability to get in a stance and sit. And when he does that, it's like, it's incredible to see him because he's just, his legs are like tree trunks, you know? So it's like, he'll, he'll get in his stance and you'll be like, man, like I just, uh, you don't, you don't look like a, like a freshman in college. Let's just leave it at that. So I think as like he gets more and more comfortable playing again, assuming the medicals are good. I think the defense is going to be like, I don't think, I don't think he's ever going to be like a stopper, but I just think it's going to be more than more than passable to make sure that he's on the, the offense has the chance to be special. And so I think, yeah, like again, he's in that four, like he's going to end up being four or five for me and is in that, you know, that second or third tier of the draft. I, I love him as a prospect and um, watching him play this year has been has been up close has been a, like a real treat. You heard the man. Hopefully, uh, he falls a couple spots beyond four or five, and the Knicks have a chance to. <laughs> he could. To he totally him. could. He totally could. Or the Knicks totally could, could trade up. Who knows? They got a glut of young guys, and they don't got enough playing time for all of them. So we'll see what happens. I want to keep us moving along to his teammate Trevor Keels, who uh, is. You know, a combo guard, he's a freshman as well, although not as young. He's young, but not quite as young as A.J. Griffin. Yeah, He's a big dude. He's a husky point guard, which is like <laughs> a, a throwback breed of player that uh, we don't see in the league that much anymore. But he's like 6'5", uh, really strong, athletic, um, like or at, I guess I would say agile more than anything. Um, really a two-way player. Uh, the stats are kind of inefficient, um, but, you know, I I think the jump shot looks good. 
Um, I don't know how he, I, I haven't tried to dig up his high school shooting stats, but I'm I'm buying the jumper off how it looks. And at for, when he started the year, I was like, oh man, a six five point guard who's this strong and can shoot it and has really good vision because his vision is solid. And and mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, what a this is this is a real this is a sneaky prospect Duke has here. And as the year went on, you know, they, they shifted ball handling duties around a little bit. So it wasn't just him, but like Roach and Moore um, and even Bancaro a little bit lately. So letting him play more of a, you know, almost like a Marcus smart kind of role. And mm-hmm. it, it's a good, that's a good look too. So I'm, I had to, I had written him off for a little bit there. Cause I was like, Oh, he's kind of inefficient for, point guard is he really going to run the offense but now i'm like oh like if he's a two-way combo guard and he could defend like one through three and even four in a pinch like that's that's a solid player there so i'm kind of coming back around on him um before we continue college basketball fans join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings sportsbook turn your team's victory into your own big win you cost new customers can bet five dollars on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? And who will hit the most three-pointers? Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook 21+. plus. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. If you or someone else you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. That's for Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-NEXT-STEP, that's for Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 for Colorado and New Hampshire, 888-789-7777. Visit httpccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut, 1-800-BETS-OFF, that's for Iowa, 1-877-770-STOP, and or text 7867, or sorry, that's 7867 uh, for <laughs> Louisiana, 877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPENY467369 New York. Visit OPGR.org for Oregon. Call text TN, call or text TN Redline 1 800 889 9789 Tennessee or 1 888 532 3500 for Vermont. 21 plus 18 or over in New Hampshire, Wyoming. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Vermont, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See httpdraftkings.com slash sportsbook for details. How has your your journey been uh, just (laughs) thinking of him as an NBA player? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, a, another guy that, like, again, I went to that first exhibition game for Duke in October, and I was just talking about seeing Griffin at that for the first time and seeing Keels up close. You're like, you know, I, I, there's no one in college basketball this year in my mind that's, like, built like him. You know, I think Smart is, like, physically is a good comparison. I think, like, maybe even, like, Lou Dort is sort mm-hmm. of, like, another comparison. 
I don't think I could be wrong. I don't think Keels is like they list him at like six four, six five. I don't think he's that tall. Um, oh, I say really? this is some, I say this is someone that's stood next to him a lot. Um, that's all you think. I'm six one. I'm guessing he's probably more in the six three range. Would be my guess. So not not, like, not it's not like I think Trevor Keels is like six one and they're label. You know, oh he's six one and a half and they're labeling. You know, I don't think it's anything like that. Look, I'm um, all here for the height conspiracies. I'm personally <laughs> waiting for AJ Griffin standing reach because I think him being six six is useless because he has a long ass neck. Yeah. So he's got I'm, the John. He's got the John Butler thing going on. All right. Uh, I'll just show. I'll just send you a a, a message because when FSU played at, I'll send this. I have to send you a picture because when FSU played at Duke a couple weeks ago, um, <laughs> FSU's rot like for the for the pregame stuff. FSU's roster standing, you know, side by side, and uh, I mean, I've got a photo of John Butler next to Matt Cleveland, and like it's awing how much taller he is than Matthew Cleveland. And yeah, it's just like 80% neck though. You know, like it's just, right. that's it's not so, helping so, you get to the ball quicker. Yeah, no, it's not or dunk. Yeah. Um, but so like, yeah, Keels, I mean, he's, he's powerfully strong. I think there are times he does a really good job using his strength. Like Duke has designed post-ups for him this season. Um, like I think the Elon game back in December is a game that they really started like to implement some of those design, you know, they're running like a, a cross screen or a slice screen to get him down to the block and let him go to work. But, you know, you see him like against Virginia, he'd get a matchup with Kia Clark, who you know, he outweighs by probably like 40 or 50 pounds. And he would just go into the paint and be able to post up on guys like that. I think the play has been up and down. There have been a handful of games this season where he's been just incredible, though. Like the Kentucky game at the start, the Pittsburgh game the other week. There was a the one when they beat Clemson on the road. He was phenomenal in that game, and I thought the Clemson game on the road was cool because, like, he did more stuff without the basketball than I think any other game I've sort of seen him do this season. Like relocating into jumpers, uh, cutting, like that type of stuff. I thought was really good from him. Um, I think he's been pretty awesome in transition this season for Duke as like a, a steal and finish guy or a, a you know a connector in the the middle third of the floor. Like I think he's done a pretty good job in terms of that pick and roll defense or pardon me pick and roll offense. He likes to run ball screens from like the slot a lot. You know like like the, the what what I guess would be like the left slot on the court. He's right handed, so it it opens up a lot of the floor to him. And I think he's done a pretty nice job. In that, like his pick and roll scoring numbers on synergy are pretty good. Um, he's a guy that can, will, you know, gladly shoot pull ups from off the dribble. And if you go under, he's going to be itching to shoot a pull up. Um, you know, sometimes you'd like him to be a little bit more eager, I think, to just slash and get downhill given his size. But I think there have been times like the NC State game in January, State, you know, is icing a lot of, you know, one five pick and roll in that game. And I thought Keels did such a nice job of being patient and like waiting until Mark Williams or Theo John like kind of cleared and got into space and then slipping them pocket passes or lobs and um and them sort of like finding nice points too. So like I wouldn't say he's like over, you know, mani- manipulative as a passer, but there's some stuff I think he does there's like he's at least is shown some capability to sort of like see different coverages, you know what I mean? And in those ice looks did like a nice job keeping an eye on where the, or like where the back line weak side help defender. Like in this case, it was usually Jericho Helms for state, but just like 
waiting for that person that that weak side defender to either close out to a shooter or to like stick in and help on the the center rolling to the basket. And I thought he did a pretty nice job sort of like moving guys around with his eyes a little bit. Like didn't see maybe a ton of that this year, but uh it like he definitely flashed it. And um luckily for him too when they played at FSU a couple of months ago, he suffered a pretty scary looking injury. Like I I I don't know if you watched that game, but he went down hard. And like rolled over his, I, th- I think it came off his right or left leg, but I, I just assumed like he tore something, you know, um, he did not, he sat out the next three games and then returned and has been pretty good since he got back. And has had a couple, again, a couple of big games, including Pittsburgh and um, in Clemson. Um, you know, the shot is something that at times this year, I've been like, you know what? I don't want to overthink it. It's fine. And he came into Duke as having like the reputation as being a shooter. And I think there have been flashes of that. And he shot the ball well in conference play, like above 35% um, in the ACC. Granted, he missed uh, you know three conference games this year. But has range on the shot and can shoot off the dribble. I don't think he's like a big – going through my – I was going through clips of him on my computer the other day. I wouldn't say there's a lot of like step back shooting, but like deep pull up shooting is what I would say is more of the, like the live dribble shooting that you get from Keels this year. And 10% of the threes he's made this season have come unassisted. I think a lot of those other ones are spot up looks on the wing in transition or like on the weak side of, um, you know, when Duke runs middle ball screen and he shakes up and they kick it over to the other side and he steps into a shot. Um, Only two dunks on the season for Keels. You know, like again, he's not very, he's not long, not that long, not an explosive leaper. Um, you know, is sort of like a burrowing driver, right? You know, really needs to use his like his his power and his frame to get inside of guys into clear space, and and that's what that's how he gets to the hoop. Um, strength is really important. We talk about this all the time. Like strength is super important for primary ball handlers. So, like I like I I like Keels. I've maybe cooled off a little on him. Um, but I still like have like a, you know a first round grade on Trevor Keels, and um, I don't know. I worry about the shot a little bit. The three the the free throw shooting has not been great this year. A small sample, but if if you want to use that as like an indicator of skill or shooting acumen, you know that's not really um, going to do much for you this year at least. So I don't know. Keels is an intriguing prospect. And um, I don't know what have what have you thought about Keels? Or any you have any thoughts on his defense? I could I could expand on that, but I've been uh, I've been chatting a lot here the last few <laughs> minutes, so I was going to pass it back to you. What do you what do you think about Keels and in, in in particular maybe his uh, uh, in, including his defense? I should. I'm say. a fan of his defense. I, I I like how aggressive he is, and I like that even though he's a big dude, he seems quick on his feet, and he can do yeah. ones and twos, and I wouldn't hesitate to put him on most point guards in the NBA, um, especially if, you know, he projects to be like, you know, maybe a rotation guy and, you know, a solid bench guard or whatever. You want him to come in, give max effort, um, do his thing in terms of like passing and being a threat to spot up and also to take pull-ups. You know, if they go under, he'll sling that thing and, and then he'll just make life shitty for other dudes for a couple of minutes at a time. So, um, I, I think that's solid. I mean, he's, you know, they funnel everything to Williams and yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's an easy recipe for college basketball, but it's not uncommon for him to, you know, 
for an NBA team to have something similar, even if it's a little bit more uh, complicated, like with, with the kind of centers that are in the NBA these days, at least the ones who aren't small ball centers. So like, I, I'm pretty optimistic about him. Um, I was doing my, uh, w- w- the Strickland is going to do our, it's five of us and we average out the, the rankings and come up with a, a big board and we're going to do our first one. And it was kind of for him. And then the two other guys, two of the other guys we're, we're going to talk about um, LaRavia and, and Turk, you know, it's 30 is such an arbitrary number for the first round where I'm like, Keels is not in my first round, but mm-hmm. what what does that even mean, right? Like yeah. everybody from argue if I'm being conservative, like twenty to forty five is basically a, ton of a late first quality player. So yeah. Yeah. he's not in my first round, but he's a first round level player, and I just happen to have a couple of guys for the Knicks who already have like eighteen combo guards in their system <laughs> who I prefer uh to yeah. Keels. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at. Um but let's let's keep it moving to uh another one of the guards um in the ACC here. Uh Turkavian Smith from NC State. He is someone who interests a lot of Knicks fans and not necessarily because he's someone the Knicks might target, but the Knicks I think he shares similarities with a couple of Knicks who are beloved now um, and differences. Um, and those two are Manuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes. Um, he's similar to Grimes in that you don't often see prospects who take 15 three-pointers per 100 <laughs> and make yeah. them at a high rate. Like any prospect who makes 100 threes in a season should – be on your radar if they can do other stuff aside from threes, even remotely well. And for Quentin, you know, he shot 40% on like infinity number of threes and also (laughs) defended and rebounded and passed the ball and all that stuff. And for Turk, it's, you know, he's high motor as well. Like he's super skinny, but he's, he's definitely not slacking it. You won't catch him slacking out there on either end. And Mm -hmm. uh, he, he only shoots like 50% at the rim, but it's not for lack of athleticism because he's caught a couple bangers, man, and he's yeah. very explosive uh, and can get downhill and dunk with either hand, which is crazy for a small guy. So, like, one if the threes are the foundation, you know, I like he's shooting sixty nine percent from free throw, but whatever. Like, this is what I told people about Quentin Grimes. Like, I got in, I Quentin Grimes got onto my radar late in the cycle and immediately skyrocketed up my personal board, and some people were like, "Oh, I don't." I don't know because the free throw percentage and I don't know because it was such a big jump from his first two seasons in in Kansas to his season in Houston. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, like you don't, you it's very hard to fluke your way into a hundred three pointers in a college season. (laughs) So I'm not worried about the free throws or the jump shot with Turk and you consider all the ancillary stuff. And I, again, first round quality player to me, um, the question of what is a good fit or, you know, what does he look like in the NBA? Like you see a couple of guys ranging from quickly who are, you know, he struggles with efficiency, but it's fine. He's finally breaking out of his season long slump. Um, you got guys in golden state, like Jordan Poole, who have, you know, have like a higher end version of that role. Jordan Clarkson, obviously. So like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, 
you know, if, if you must come up with a couple of comps to throw out there, those are just some names. Um, but what, what, like he, he kind of was just around and then exploded onto the scene. Yeah. So what, what's his deal? He's like an actual freshman. So like what, yeah. What's was he big on? Was he highly anticipated? No, or not, no, or, no. Okay. I think in, it was wild in the ACC this year. There, there are two of the best freshmen, hands down, have been Traquavion Smith, who goes by. Uh, he's from like I live in North Carolina. He's from North Carolina. Uh, people around here refer to Traquavion Smith as Baby T. That's that's his nickname. Um, but he was like you know a top one hundred guy, same as Blake Wesley at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. or two guys that just like. I remember early in the season, I was like, wow, two like pretty good, pretty good freshmen. And then after the Illinois yeah. game for Blake Wesley, it was like, okay, damn, no, actually this guy's more than that. And then Smith, I wrote something about Smith in probably like early December, um, probably like before the Purdue game where I was like, you know, man, looks like States like got something with this guy, you know, like he's, he, he's not finishing at the rim, but the, 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 the shot creation is he's, he's, he's like, he's quick. He can get to places on the court with a dribble. He can run a pick and roll. And like, he's got big time shooting range. And, um, and yeah, it's just, it's like stock has just soared. It's he's so it's so I'll be honest with you. It's like wild for me when I see like various parts of like draft Twitter talking about Terquavion and I'm like, God, like, Three months ago, this was like he was like you know coming off the bench for NC State, which is like that's that's I, I went to NC State for undergrad. Um, so it's just wild to see a guy like that have this where like people are like, oh, you know, would you, is he a first round prospect or whatever? And like you know what to, to, as you just said, like what does that mean? Like he's definitely draftable. Um, I'll say this: there are plenty of people in Raleigh that think he's going to return for a sophomore season. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Um, but you mentioned the the, the three point shooting volume, uh, almost fifteen and a half threes per one hundred possessions, which is just like a completely bonkers number. <laughs> and if you go back through uh, the the Bart Torvik database, which I did this recently, there were only I think it was only two high major freshmen since the 07-08 season that had shot above thirty five percent on threes with with at least fit with with above fifteen three point attempts per one hundred possessions in a steal rate of at least 2%. And it was the only two were Tequavion Smith and um, PJ Hairston, who played at UNC and then was a first round pick of the, of the then Charlotte Bobcats. But um, yeah, he's an incredibly explosive scorer, incredibly confident, like can miss 10 shots in a row and will still feel good about taking the 11th one. And there's a, you know, there's a 40% chance it's probably going to go in. Um, he definitely plays with like some fire and some passion. Like this state team is not good this year. Like they've lost a ton of games, but I think he's done a really nice job, like staying locked in, playing his game and competing hard. Like when they were getting, when they were getting throttled at in Chapel Hill, like a month ago by UNC, he had 34 points in that game, just went nuts. And like, he was the one guy that was sort of like, you could see him chirping on the court and trying to keep, engaged and keep his teammates engaged like I, I think there's some like intriguing like leadership qualities with him as well which is pretty fascinating like you know he's not a guy that just sort of like keeps himself on the court like he'll talk and um and I think there's just some intangible aspects of him that are that are probably worth um considering and uh not only does he just take a ton of threes but the shooting range is just ridiculous 
ridiculous on his threes. And like, it's like 60 something percent assisted. Yeah. So that's a very low number. Yeah. He's got that little like kind of um like right to left. Like he's a right-handed player, but he's got this like right to left crossover step back move that just like it just creates space every time he wants it to. You know what I mean? Just like it, it gets to, he can get to step back look anytime he wants because he's he, there's no like distance that's too far for him. Like he crosses half court and you know he thinks he's in range. And again, he's he's like um, shifty enough with the, and crafty with the basketball, and he's fast. So like yeah, he can just create space whenever he wants to. Um, I think there's a lot of like low because of that. I think there's a lot of like low hanging fruit to, for him to tap into offensively that he just hasn't even gotten to at times this year. Um, and I think some of that individual shot creation has been is it's great to see for a lot of reasons. In part because he's been such an awesome like catch and shoot spot up player, and that's that that's wonderful to see. But he's also been able to feast off of Darion Sebron, right? Who's this, uh, you know, is another really intriguing prospect and is just an absolute madman for getting downhill and like collapsing defenses and kicking out, right? And those two dudes have been awesome. They've been on the same page since the jump this season. And, um, and, and so like, the, yeah, those guys, like, he looked like Sebron looks for Smith and I think Smith does a nice job you know, relocating and moving around and filling in the corner on transition, knowing that he's just going to get kick out looks from, and he just eats off that stuff. Um, and, and those two guys have been like a really fun one, two punch, even on a, a, a crappy NC state team. So yeah, they're um, fun to watch. Sebron, yeah. I, I haven't gotten into him on any of these pods and I was, I don't want to go on a Sebron tangent cause we still got to talk about two <laughs> other dudes, but yeah. like he, uh, Man, I really wanted to give him a first round grade because I don't even think this shot's all that busted. He just doesn't shoot it. Yeah, I just wish I saw a little bit more from him on defense. That's the only thing that was yeah. keeping me. Uh, I I do think it. I do think with Sebron, like, because look, like he's a guy that he's a redshirt sophomore this year, and he didn't really play until like late last season of his redshirt freshman year. State had one of their top guys, Devin Daniels, got hurt, and that caused them to like move things around as far as the roster goes. And I thought Sebron's defense late last season was pretty good, but he had a completely different role. He was right. like the fourth or fifth option. I, I think I like he's skinny and that's, so that's something to consider too. But like, mm-hmm. I think he has such an incredible like load offensively. Like both mm-hmm. he and Smith are both above 26% usage. Yeah, and hard usage, both hard, of them. hard. Yeah. Like pick and roll with in, in, in to be clear, like, those guys both run a lot of pick and roll. Um, I think it was over 26% of NC State's possessions this season were used by pick and roll ball handlers, which was the most in the most in the country by a lot. And about 400 of those came from Terquavion and, and Darion Sebron. But they have no offensive threat at the center position. So like those guys run pick and roll, and like the entire coverage is just like shifted to getting the ball out of their hands, you know? Um, so I think that's something to consider that like if you could really put this guy with like, you know, with a player that has like roll gravity or like a legit pick and pop, you know, stretch shooter, um, then, then Terquavion could probably do even more out of the pick and roll as far as turning the corner and, and getting downhill is like, he's got shooting touch. He's got nice runners and floaters. Like he's got all that kind of stuff in, in his bag that kind of to, to an extent offset some of the rim pressure stuff. Like you'd like to see more of it, obviously, but, um, and I think some of the passing reads have been pretty good. 
And like, he'll look for like Sebron when Sebron gives the ball up, you know, you mentioned he's a non shooter, but like Sebron pounds the offensive glass and he's a big time cutter. And I think he and he and uh, Smith have like nice chemistry where, you know, it's like Sebron pick and roll. He drives, he kicks it out to Smith and then Sebron will hang in the dunker spot and Smith will drive and then whip it back to Sebron for a layup. And, the, and so they just, those guys have like nice sort of like tic-tac-toe chemistry in that regard. The one other thing I would say about Smith that I do think is a little interesting, and I have not, I have yet to chart the NC State, Florida State game from last weekend, and I have not gotten to the NC State, Boston College game from a couple weeks ago. Smith had three combined dunks in those games, but every other dunk that I have Sebron, or pardon me, not Sebron, Terquavion Smith, forgive me. Every other dunk I have Smith logged for this season, he dunked with his left hand. So like he's got the like the John Wall Rashad yep, McCants, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, jump with the right foot. He's right-handed, but it, every pretty much every dunk this season, at least the ones I've charted, again, I don't have three of them in my database that has been with his left hand. But you mentioned this, man, he can explode in those situations off a live dribble, or even they, they played Virginia a couple weeks ago, and like he caught the ball off like a, a pin down and curled hard and turned the corner and just like, like going to his left. And then just, I don't think anyone in Virginia was like expecting him to just like take off and, you know, spike one down. It was, it was awesome. So I think he's even he doesn't think, need, yeah, he doesn't need, like it's not like AJ Griffin and RJ Barrett where like they need a little bit of a run rate. He doesn't yeah. need much Ooh. space to load up. Yep. 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 You, you nailed it. And then I just think defensively, like hasn't been great this season. State's defense is also horrible. So it's like, it's not a very good context to evaluate him on. Um, State also switches one through four. So he switched a lot this season, but Two and a half percent steal rate. And then I was this morning, I watched the film from the Wake Forest game the other day. Um, had two blocks in that game, including a block on a three pointer. So, like, he's pretty oh. long, too. Mm-hmm. And you can see some of that, some of that speed and that the motor and the leaping ability as like a, a kind of like a, a sneaky closeout, you know, contest artist as well. So, um, I think there's some, there's some upside there. But yeah, mostly when you talk about Smith. You know, given just the comps you mentioned, you know Clarkson. You know, you're gonna you're gonna zero in and focus on the offense, but it's been it's been really impressive this year. The motor, the the that's the thing. Like with guys like that, if they have good motor, like you can bet on them to yeah punch above their weight on defense. We saw it with quickly, right? Like everybody was like, oh, you know, like quickly, he's he's a little undersized. He came in kind of skinny, even though he wasn't a soft. I mean, he wasn't a freshman and. He had the great wingspan, of course, but like everybody just assumed he was going to be a good shooter and a negative on defense. He's the Knicks' most like technically sound perimeter guard. There's like guys like Deuce and Quentin who are absolute menaces at the point of attack on ball, much more than he is. But in terms of like not making mistakes, always hitting the right rotation, always hedging properly, never gambling too hard, verticality at the rim, like just checking off. All these different boxes. He's really good at that stuff. And that all starts with his motor and him just being dedicated to just like getting it done and playing his part. So I could see Turk, um, you know, I'm not saying he's going to end up being some plus defender, but I could see baby T punching above his weight there. So uh, uh, hopefully he goes to a team where uh, he can get some rotation minutes and be in that provide some energy on both sides. Um, Mm -hmm. All right, let's keep it moving and get to uh, 
Wake Forest, who I personally will be rooting for because my favorite player in the ACC plays for them. Alondis. Um, Alondis, my son. But I, I'm also now like had just having watched so much Alondis, I have such appreciation for Jake Larav. Is it Laravia or Laravia? Laravia, 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 and like he's wonderful to watch in his awesome. own right. He's awesome. he's super. Not only is he super good, but like he he just does. He's just good at everything, and he's so well-rounded. And, you know, some of the things as a prospect that stand out as, like, yellow flags, like three-point volume, I'm not even worried about because the coaches can easily ratchet that up in the NBA. So Mm -hmm. uh, let's start out with him um, and save Alondis for last. So, like, if if somebody came up to you on the street and was like, Brian, (laughs) I have a gun here. You have one minute to give me the Jake Laravia sales pitch. Yeah. What would you say? <laughs> yeah, he just, I mean, he's incredibly technically sound. He's a great shooter. Not a lot of three-point volume, but he doesn't take a ton of mid-range shots either, right? Like, he, he, he's just a lot of, like, kind of, like, get to the lane, get to the low box, post up, spin, 30 dunks this season, shot a good number. That's at a the lot, run. man. That's a lot of dunks. For a guy that's not, like, super explosive. Right. It's just, like... <laughs> You know, he gets to run with Alondis Williams in transition. That helps. But there's, there's that's also- like as many dunks as Paolo Bancaro. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And he's 6'8. And again, transferred in from Indiana State. Excellent team defender. I actually put him first team all D. De- like, I, I, like the thing that I wrote up, I, I would have had him as like he and Wendell Moore Jr. were kind of in the conversation for my fifth and final all defense spot. But like, incredible on the backside of pick and roll. You know what I mean? Like, rotating, being disruptive. He's big enough so he can block a shot. Uh, this is like this is maybe like a weak comparison, and I don't want to like compare like from an upside standpoint. But if you've watched, um, and I also don't want to do like the white guy from Indi- Indiana comparison either. <laughs> but like he, rem- like as someone who watches the Hornets, watches every Hornets game, he's got some like the like the way that Gordon Hayward plays now is sort of similar to what LaRavia does for Wake Forest, where... Yeah, I can see that. He can shoot and pass from every level of the court. He can run a pick and roll. He can screen for a pick and roll. He He's a matchup nightmare. He'll If you put a smaller guy on him, like, and Wake has just opened up the offense and has said, post, this, post that dude up. Like, go. You got the matchup? Go, post his ass up. And, like, just solid. Checks every single box. He's really strong. Super strong. And, again, can run the floor rebounds well can guard a couple positions like you know hybrid forward maybe not super quick laterally but definitely not like not slow and i just think the team defense is just like so like it you know we talk about this all the time with prospects you're like can you envision this person being on the court defensively in a postseason game right like can you can you see that and laravia with his size and the, like the way he drills down as far as his assignments go off the basketball it's like yeah it's not impossible to see that you know um, you know, what I worry about him against, you know, guarding one-on-one NBA athletes in space, like, yeah, maybe, but like, he's a pretty damn good defender. And you mentioned the stuff with him as, as far as his shooting goes, like, I think he's a great shooter. And, um, I think there are some good indicators to suggest that he can become a pretty good three point shooter as well. But I just, the thing with him that I love is his ability to pass and shoot from, from every level, like a complete, like if you want to, like I like to break up the half court into four levels, like three long mid range, short mid range and rim. 
And he he's a killer as far as scoring and passing from every single like every single level of that. And from I'm really happy you, you mentioned that, especially for the passing, because so like again, not to say he's going to end up on the Knicks, but listeners of this pod are Knicks fans, and you know, pass the Knicks are not a good passing team. They're not. Yeah. Julius Randle's a solid passer out of his out of his gravity, which is lessened this year for a bunch of reasons. <laughs> and you know, you have guys like Quickly and RJ who they're not non-passers, but they're not like savants and they're not really like connectory passers and yeah yeah. and a lot of the times the reason is because those guys are they're very good at passing from certain areas and not others and rj is a great example of that rj is a pretty good at outside in like if he's running a pick and roll he can hit the weak side corner from there but you actually don't see that many driving kicks from him you don't see many um dump offs he can throw an alley-oop but like He's not really good interior passing in the in the two middle zones like that, and mm-hmm. um, you know someone like Quickly is solid in the middle zones, but not as good in the outside zone. So to have a guy like uh, like Jake who who can do it from everywhere, and he's always cool and calm and collected, right? He's, mm-hmm. This is his third year in college. He's this is not his first rodeo. Um, it he's just it seems like he always makes the right decision on his shots and his passes and on defense and like yeah it shows in his numbers so i'm gonna i, sh- I might be talking myself into a first round grade from him he's all, he's all like he's super good dude he's <laughs> yeah so, like the numbers I, I'm, are i'm sleeping ridiculous man they are he's, so got listeners he's 56 from the field 62 <laughs> on twos 40 percent for three 78 percent from free throw and uh going down to Fancier numbers, 61% E field goal percentage. And normally I, you know, his true shooting percentage is 66. I I like walking through some nerd stuff sometimes on the pod. I still use E field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, basically as a show of like bucket making ability. Mm -hmm. And for him to be able to score that highly, uh, to have a 61 EFG is like, he, he, he might, he might not be flashy, but he's a bucket out here. And yeah. Yeah. A 57 free throw rate, you know, yeah, a lot of that is like post-ups and stuff, but I don't care, man. 57 is high as hell. Yeah, You keep going, right, to 2.7 steal percentage, 2.8 block percentage, and that's down compared to his other years. Mm-hmm. And then let's keep going some more, right? Like defensive win shares, fourth in the ACC. Defensive box plus minus, fifth in the ACC. Total box plus minus third in the ACC <laughs> and that's this is yeah this is a team where you got you got the Duke boys you got all types of really good players and prospects and older mm-hmm. you know even the guys who aren't prospects who are like upperclassmen on a lot of these teams are really good so he's he's really putting in work here and it's a very big reason why I think him and Alondas are gonna fuck up some people's couches during they, this conference they, tournament, dude. They, they, it's just like how many teams have a one-two punch like that? Mm-mm. Not just, not just like in terms of like raw talent, like you know, two NBA legitimate and draftable NBA prospects. I mean, State has that in in Sebron and in Smith, and those guys. We just talked about how they can play off one another, but not like how Laravia and Williams do, where like they're both just like basketball geniuses too. and older yeah, so older, they're, they're both like strong yeah. as hell and very athletic they, they have there's this one play wake runs this like one five out motion play that is like a it's like a backdoor play for laravia and and i'm telling you dude like you would think this is something that opponents <laughs> would have seen on tape like two times this year and been like all right screw it they're not getting this against us and they get it every single game like if they play in a man if they play a man in a team <laughs> alondis williams is gonna hit jake laravia for this like 
cross court diagonal backdoor and like it but it requires like you see that and you're like that's so hard to do this especially when the defense sees it coming and Williams can and we'll talk about him in a second but like LaRavia has such trust as a cutter going to the rim and he I mean he catches every single like he's got great hands he catches every pass that's thrown at him and just a couple other like quick numbers to to throw out like spot up possessions 1.07 points per possession cuts 1.29 shooting 63% on cuts like I like his post up and isolation stuff kind of blends together for me to an extent, but just the way synergy has it set up, it's you know one point two four points per possession on post up, sixty seven percent shooting, isolation zero point nine four, forty one percent shooting. So like yeah, he just is a threat from every single level of the court, and yeah, there's no real weaknesses defensively. I, I was doing this exercise in my head the other day where I was trying to think of the best like at the nail players in the ACC and like That's obviously a great exercise obviously Ben Caro is like tops like no no duh like of course and like the the like after watching him against Syracuse it was just like comical it's just like him in the middle of the zone just like all right do I want to like throw a lob or kick it's out surgery for three yeah it's <laughs> like but LaRavia is the same thing and like he's the guy like as soon as an opponent plays zone against Wake they're, they don't have, like, there's no, like, signal from the bench. It just, LaRavia floats to the mid, the nail, and all of a sudden you throw it into him, and you're just going to play off that and get a good shot. And um, I think one of the things that's been so cool about Wake this season is, last year was Steve Forbes' first season. They ran a lot of, like, they not every time down the court, but they ran a lot of, like, set plays, right? You know, they come across, and they, they weren't very good. Alanis and Jake LaRavia weren't there. And they shot a lot of threes. There was no real way for them to create advantage. So they just ran sets, you know, every other time down the court. This season, dude, Wake will go like a full game without running anything because they just they just go five out motion or they put Williams and LaRavia into two-man action. And those guys are just like awesome and smart and unselfish. And so just like it's, they it's just, unfair. It's you, unfair. You know? Like I'll link to it when I when we uh post this pod, but I, I read the the thing you the piece you wrote detailing they're a two-man game, and that had tons of clips. And yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that blurs the line between scripted and unscripted because they don't call it because they know it, yeah. so they can just yeah. do it. And of like, of course, other teams are bamboozled by that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like this is yeah. co- this is college. Yeah. Like, the, half of these other teams are rolling out freshmen and and sophomores, yeah. and you know, like I, I, it's college coaches. You don't have enough time. These kids have school and they have to be teenagers. So they don't have time to, to dial in like NBA (laughs) players on pet plays and shit. So like, and then on top of that, the coaches always are making, you know, college coaches are great at some stuff and less great at other stuff. I I always go back Mm -hmm. to like my favorite instance of this, which was De'Aaron Fox versus Alonzo ball and March madness. And like they kept on both going under like uh, Alonzo kept going under the screen for versus De'Aaron I mean over the screen versus De'Aaron and I'm like literally there's only one thing you have to do on the scouting report and basketball genius Lonzo Ball and UCLA couldn't manage that and they got eliminated from the tournament because of it so like it's like once you know the context of like if if you just watch LaRavia highlights and Alondis highlights and you see those passes you're like holy shit like insane improv vision and that's not wrong but just knowing that, like, 
they have that good of a feel for each other within the flow of the offense, which works. Yeah. It just kind of lends another layer of appreciation to what they do. And it's, it's part of the reason why I'm, I'm so high on both of them is because they both, they both are such high field players. And for LaRavia that extends to defense Yeah, um, where I, you know, I don't know what his wingspan is, but I feel like just being six, six and like strong and strong at minimum, he'll do what, you know, something that coach Tibbs would appreciate, which is uh, (laughs) what I like to call just teaching guys how to be large and in the way, which is how the Knicks pretty much succeeded last year when their defense was great. Like they had Mitch and Nerland who were amazing rim protectors, but everybody else on the roster was not, you know, nobody was competing for an all defense team there. It's just like Julius large and in the way RJ Barrett large in the way Derek Rose, Alfred Payton large and in the way, like you just, if you know where to go, that gets you pretty far in the NBA if you're big. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like the other day, someone was asking me to just like I was I was asked to justify Laravia like the all like his candidacy for all defense in the ACC, and I said this that what you just said. I was like, he's six seven or whatever, and he's just constantly in the right place at the right time, and like that lends itself to blocks and steals and making guys miss shots. Like Wake ma- manufactured a top fifty defense in the country this season. Mostly because like they do they do some cool stuff with guarding pick and roll, but mostly I think like attached to all of that is that Laravia is on the backside just cleaning up any mess possibly. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to say about uh, Laravia because we were talking about the two man chemistry and the way those guys are synced up. Like I I like to listen to there's a couple basketball pods that I listen to and one of them is the uh, the dunker spot with with Nikias and. Steve Jones, it's you know if you're if you're a basketball dork, it's like mandatory listening. And Steve, who's Steve Jones, coached in the NBA as an assistant for a couple of years, and he talks like I've heard him talk a couple times on that pod about how look NBA coaches don't want to walk the ball up and call a set every time down the court. Like it's not 1997 anymore, and they want teams to be able to just get into their flow, right? And and just have guys that can play off of one another and just you know. Build, create advantage and build off that advantage and not have to come up and say, hey, we're running floppy. We're running, we're doing this out of horns. Like, let these guys do their thing. And I think it's so cool that at this time a year ago, Alanis Williams and Jake LaRavia played on different teams. And in the span of less than a year, those guys very, very – probably because they both recognize one another. It's just like, wow, we're really smart and good. But, like, like they just immediately clicked into this chemistry where, like, you don't have to tell those guys what to do or direct them. You know what I mean? You just, you put pieces around them and Wake's got some great shooters to sort of like augment those guys and you just let them get into their flow. And, uh, and those guys just constantly make like fun to watch plays, but also just like good decision after good decision. And that's what you see so much with uh, LaRavia specifically. Yeah, you'd love to see it. And speaking of good decision after good decision, let's <laughs> take us home with my uh, my son, Alondis Williams. Every year, there's there's always inevitably one guy I latch on to. <laughs> and, and the formula for such a player is very predictable. Once you uh, follow me for more than a couple months on Twitter, which is basically like, are you an NBA prospect? And can you break ankles and do filthy hesitation moves yeah. and – make amazing passes and mostly the first two more than the amazing passes <laughs> thing. And uh, his Alondis is six, five. I mean, if you're listening to this, you've probably been spammed by me about him at this point, but like he's big, 
He's his handle is ridiculous and his finishing is ridiculous and his mid-range shooting is ridiculous and his passing is ridiculous and if you know the the criticisms are are entirely fair which is like he's an older player he's going to be 23 on draft night and then uh he's his three-point shooting has kind of cratered ever since i latched on to him so my bad and <laughs> he uh he's now at 30 percent from three and 70 from the line and um I, I ran a tweet, uh, a Twitter poll yesterday, um, basically because there are very few players who prospects who have better pull up shooting numbers as a prospect than catch and shoot numbers. He's one of them. Killian Hayes was another. Dav- Davion Mitchell was another. Kevin Porter Jr. was another. There's others, but those are the only ones I could remember. And in terms of how that shakes out, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, but and then like you, you kind of layer on to that the fact that like generally speaking, it's a little less likely for an older prospect to improve their shooting compared to a younger prospect. So like if somebody was like, I don't know, point guard who's older and doesn't shoot well, like I get that. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. I just don't care because yeah. <laughs> he's so ridiculous at everything <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, the, and then you add on top of that, like I'm the Knicks. I've been point guard starved since Ray Felton, really since Walt Clyde Frazier and Marbury, <laughs> but even, even Marbury, you know, that's a whole nother podcast, but like, so it, the chance to get a guard who provides rim pressure and can distribute and create for others. And, you know, he's, he's has strengths on defense, even if he has weaknesses as well, he's not mm-hmm. like incapable by any means. And I'm just like, why would you, if you can get this guy later, like, why would you not take a flyer on him, put him in Westchester, see if he destroys everybody like Deuce is doing this year mm-hmm. or like Rokas Yokobaitis is doing for the Knicks over in Spain and Barcelona and just see what you got. Like, he he, he brings – I don't think it's going to happen just because the Knicks are saturated with ball handling guards but like or scoring guards. But, man, I, I truly feel like whoever – Whoever gets him is going to get a steal of a player if it's outside of the lottery. He's really freaking good. And I just, I feel like you're the wrong person to ask because you also <laughs> love Alondis. But like, <laughs> like, am I, am I too, am I tripping here? Like, am I too high on him? I don't think so, dude. He's been awesome this season. And I also think if you put him like on a, on like a G League court tonight, I think he would. I think he would like. I think he would destroy it. Like I think he would put up. Yeah. I think he would put up. I think he'd get downhill. I think he'd kick out. Like I think he would just be. He would instantly all that cre- space create exactly. Would instantly create offense. Um, yeah. Look. So th- the thing with Alanis is interesting because I wrote a story last May, like like a couple of weeks after he had transferred from Oklahoma to Wake Forest, and basically Wake was a team. They were one of the worst teams in the country last season at getting rim pressure. They just had, there was no way of doing it. And when Alondis was at Oklahoma, like he was a lower usage player. And, but one of the things he did was he got downhill, right? It was very obvious that like this guy can get to the rim. And so since he was coming to the ACC and since Brady Manick was going from Oklahoma to UNC, I spent a lot of the spring last year watching Oklahoma games and watching those guys play. And I was like, wow, like I'm, I wrote a story being like, I think we're like, it's, I think it's going under the radar a little bit how talented this guy is. Now, to be clear, I did not think he was going to be this good. <laughs> like, I had, would never speak to that extent because it's like he was literally the player of the year in the conference. And like, 
has made himself like a first round prospect. So it's like, I, I didn't see that coming, but it was very obvious that he was a guy that could get downhill and pass. Um, that said, his vision of the court and the confidence he has in throwing passes is, I mean, it's unmatched in the country this season. And he uh, never hesitates. That's it's, the craziest it's incredible. Thing. And just there is a vapor trail on these passes sometimes. <laughs> like, and it's it's always nuts because like sometimes he does it in transition, and you're like, holy crap. And then there are other times like when they've played Syracuse this season or, or NC State threw a zone at them the other the other night, and like. It, you know, it, you don't see a lot of guys from like 27 feet out be like, I'm going to throw it to my teammate in the dunker spot through the zone. Like not on a lob, you know what I mean? Like, 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 a, like a, like head high laser, like, 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 um, you know, like a quarterback in football, like the you know, splitting coverage or like, throwing in the middle of like zone coverage, you know, and it, but he's got, he's got the arm strength and the confidence to just, to just get it in there. It's incredible to watch. And, and something that I just have not seen, um, I feel like at least in a couple of draft cycles and his ability to pressure the rim, you touched on it. His, he's got the, the burst is so, so good. He's incredibly strong, but the hesitation crossovers, which you, you, you brought up are incredible. Like, and just that the, like the, the, the like the plant with the left foot, you know what I mean? And do that. Like but he, it's, it's relatively tight, but he, he's able to like get enough sort of like side to side twitch on it that, he, he'll freeze a defender or he'll move a defender and then he'll just immediately fly down in the opposite direction, like get into a gap and get to the rim. And obviously he's drawn a ton of free throws this season too. Just in, in, over over five fouls drawn for 40 minutes this season, which is a pretty, you know, pretty good number for, uh, for, for Williams. Um, he can post up like there's some games this season when the, on the rare occasion that he has not been able to like crack the paint with his drive. And this is basically like when Wake Forest has played Reese Beekman, who's an incredible one-on-one mm-hmm. defender and is a guy that we should be talking about as a prospect, maybe for 2023. I really, Definitely. really like love Reese Beekman as a player. Um, but Williams all of a sudden was like, screw it. I'm not going to try to drive around this guy anymore. Give me, I'm going to go to the block. And he just, he had probably four post up, you know, dunks or layups the last like two minutes of that game in Charlottesville, where it was like you just cannot deny this guy. Like he'll he just walk, in the NBA, he would have a, a strength and size yeah, advantage over yeah. most point guards. Huge guard, six five, you know, two hundred and ten pounds, like whatever that you list him at. Incredibly strong and like punches above his weight, and he's already pretty big for a guard, but plays even stronger than that. I think one of my favorite finishes with him this season, though, is when Wake blew the doors off of UNC at home, and Caleb Love, who's um, let's just say I don't I don't have the <laughs> I don't love him as a prospect. Let's just leave it at that. But in in part of it because he's just a horrific defender. But in that game, Alanis Williams hit Caleb Love with an inside out crossover dribble that, like, I thought Caleb Love was going to turn into stone. Like, like it was. Like it would the 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 he the move was so smooth, so seamless, no load, no load time whatsoever, just like in and out, perfect, like uh, hesitation crossover dribble with his right hand, boom, right down him, downhill for a layup at the rim, like beat everyone to the basket, and um, stuff like that wasn't a diamond, like stuff like that was basically a dime a dozen for him this season. He felt like every, you know, every game he had a couple just blow by finishes that you just could not believe. Um, unselfish player, 
And uh, I think you could, I think in a role where his usage is not quite as hot, like he's above 30% usage this season for Wake. Um, post a lot of post ups, a lot of ISO, a lot of pick and roll. I think in a role where he's not using on when he's not being on the basketball quite as much, I think you can probably get a little more juice out of him on on defense too. Yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, like I've heard some folks mention, like what what does Alondis look like as not the fulcrum, as more of a complementary player, and and it's it's a fair question given so much yeah. of his his skill and talent is with the ball in his hands and. He would have to get the the catch and shoot shooting. Um, you'd have to shore that up a little bit. But um, he, the good thing about his passing is it's not just ball in hand, like helio usage passing. There's plenty of times where Jake passes it to him and he touch passes it down to someone else. So he's yep. he the idea of like Alondis Williams connector. You know that's not the reason I have him lotto, but that's a thing that is also yet another reason why I don't think. Uh, I don't think he'll fail. He's he's just good in a lot of he plays one role, but he's you know, he played another role right before this year. So he's yeah. he's yeah. he's got some adapt adaptability that I, I think some folks are sleeping on. And um just looking at his like play types right now on synergy, like most of it is pick and roll ball handler, twenty one percent. Twenty percent is also spot up, which is not just spot up threes but like drives out of yeah spot attack ups close and, out yeah yeah and after that is transition and then after that is isolation and then there's a big gap between all the other stuff like cuts and post ups and all that so mm-hmm. he's really good at isolation really good as pick and roll ball handler so that lets you know he's what we already know with our eyes which is he's very good with the ball in his hands <laughs> yeah and then like the, the spot up which is he rates out as average so like he definitely there's something to be said for like development paths and a team who picks him to me would be well served putting all their chips in and not trying to figure out what Alondis Williams connector looks like until you've emptied the tank on Alondis Williams point guard. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if that means you got to do like what the Knicks are doing with Deuce or what the Rockets are doing with Daishan and just let him decimate the G League for a couple of months, then you do that and and you just see what comes of it. And if you can make spots for him in the rotation, you should do that because he's not a project and he's twenty three and can do stuff now. So like yeah. I it's just the value of it. Like obviously we're talking about him like Lotto mid first or whatever, but realistically I I mean there's always a couple of guys who get drafted much higher than people think, but if I had to actually place a bet on when he got drafted, I don't think it would be in the first two thirds of the first round and maybe not even the first round at all. So like at that point, you know, especially if you're a team like the Knicks, like you're, you're already full up on prospects. You got, you got a lot of balls in the air. Like why not take a flyer on him? And a lot of teams are in that position right now because the league is so full of young talent that you're going to necessarily see guys like Deuce and Daishen and Isaiah Jackson just spend half a season destroying the G League because there's a there's just a zillion good players so like that's <laughs> that like there's definitely some like he has to land on the right team yeah but it's not because his skill set is weird so much as it is because his skill set is good as weird as that sounds <laughs> yeah yeah no it does and and I like it 
I, I feel like as far as his off ball stuff goes, you know, it is, it's definitely worth considering um, in, in trying to evaluate. We know he can attack a closeout, right. but he's going to, he's got to be able to force the hard closeout too. So, so you, you touched on that, like the spot up catch and shoot three point shooting is going to be a big bellwether for him. I think he can, I like his cutting. I do, even though it's maybe not something that's charting as like a, something that, that he does frequently on, um, on synergy, I think he's a pretty good like mover without the basketball. Again, in this NC State game, I watched like there was one possession where like the ball was they were State was in zone, ball got entered to the post, postman threw it to Laravia at the at the nail, and like Williams cut just seamlessly weak side cut catch off a f- touch pass from Williams or from Laravia, and and Williams scored at the rim, and it was like yeah he sort of saw this like a step ahead of everybody. It's why he smoked uh, the zone defense like no one was ready for it. Um, he runs in transition too. And yeah, I think just because he's smart and unselfish and that's something that like Steve Forbes and the wake staff has talked about. Like Alanis Williams is a really unselfish player. You see it with his passing. My guess is if you asked him to take a role on where there was less on ball creation, but you needed him to cut around and move without the basketball and be a screener and slip and do all like, I think he would happily take on that role. But um, I want to mention one other sort of like we, we were talking about the, the two-man game of Alanis Williams and Jake LaRavia. And, but this maybe even speaks a little bit to sort of like the helio nature of, of Alanis with, the, with Wake Forest's offense. But I'm on, I'm on CBBanalytics.com uh, right now, and I'm on the Wake Forest like assist network page. And every combination of, of passer to score as far as assist to field goals go – uh, everyone inside the top one, two, three, four, five, six, everyone inside the top 10 includes at least one of Alanis Williams and Jake LaRavia. And some of the combinations are both Williams to Jake LaRavia or Jake LaRavia <laughs> to Alanis Williams. So it's like, yeah, Alanis Williams to Isaiah Musius, 37. Alanis Williams to Jake LaRavia, 35. Williams to Dallas Walton, 29. Williams to Davian Williamson, 27. LaRavia to Alanis Williams, 25 and then from from there on down uh with more jake laravia assist numbers so um i think there's a fair amount of like assisted scoring that walt uh, pardon me that williams had this season and so yeah i, I kind of like him as a, as a guy that i think maybe has a little bit of like untapped um you know off ball skill but and it's so you again you mentioned this and you know, everyone who's listening to this is going to know this, but it's like, it's going to be, can he shoot, you know, can he shoot catch and shoots too, right? Like it, you don't want to boil it down to just that. Cause it's over. That's like, Oh, it's reductive, but like, that's going to be, that's going to be a big piece of the puzzle for him. And that's the thing to me. Like that's as far as development bets go, that's, that's nothing. That's putting $5 on FanDuel on yeah, LeBron yeah. James. Like that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like NBA team, like everybody, like that's, uh, the players not getting to at least passable from catch and shoot are is very rare if they're ball handlers like mm-hmm. in my, like RJ Barrett like there's the guys like Jared Culver and Dennis Smith who we talked about at the top of the pod like that's the exception and when that happens people are like what went wrong yeah because it's that notable the harder thing is the pull up shooting because that requires having really good handle and mm-hmm. is. That's, he's already good at that. He's forty eight percent pulling up, forty nine percent long two or something crazy like that. So, like, I'll, give me that bet. Shoot, I'll take that bet, man. Yeah. I mean, one. I hope he doesn't end up on one of these teams that's already too good and has 
like this is the petty side of me. Like I'm not trying to see <laughs> him end up on like the Grizzlies or dude. Just wait. It's gonna. Know. It's it. Uh, I saw. Are you? Are you? Uh, do you like uh, Jeremy Sohan? Uh, yes, Baylor. I'm a fan. I'm yeah, a fan. I'm a big fan. There was some mock I saw recently that had him going to Memphis, and I was like, they're just gonna do it again. Like yep. they're like <laughs> the Grizzlies are gonna get one of these guys that's definitely like good and versatile and. All the draft Twitter likes, and I mean, for whatever it's worth, the, the Grizz employ a couple former yeah, yeah. draft Twitter people uh, in their scouting department in their front office, which is pretty cool. But um, yeah, like it, it's going to be like it would be awesome if he ends up on a team like that because it's like it's a good place for him to be. And the thought of in, in this hypothetical, the thought of like Alon is with Ja Morant is like a hilarious, uh, you know, like one two guard punch basically or whatever. But um i'm just such a hater like i don't want i'm i'm very like i i have i'm a knicks fan man i I have built up hatred in so many places like okay i don't want don't send alondas to miami where he's gonna do p90x that would turn turn, learn from kyle lowry and turn into like okay that would annoy me actually i i I don't like the i uh but god the hornets played the heat right before the all-star break and um Look, Miami's really good. I think they could win the title this year or whatever. And I really like individually, I really like Jimmy and Bam and et cetera. Yeah, yeah. They are so frustrating to see the team that you the watch worst. play against. The worst. Because they, they, they flop, they draw charges, and then they also act they, like, you know, like they're the, the bullies too. Like, it, they're just like, I'm telling you, the teams that have to play, like, I, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like with a team having to play like a best of seven against this team in the playoffs. There's going to be like, it's going to get ugly. Um, but it, my, I, my I, hot I take is they're going to, they're going to, uh, we'll, we'll get you back onto the main pod strictly that we can talk about <laughs> uh, non-draft stuff and yeah. the Hornets more. Cause, cause Schwinn also likes the Hornets, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to save that. Cause I, Lord knows. Yeah. yeah. You know, another, another time. Fucking heat rant. Another but, time. Um, Anyway, we, we've gone long, so thank you for being <laughs> generous with your time. It's just and that these are just five prospects who are very fun to talk about, like you mentioned at the top. And uh, so it, it, it wasn't entirely a surprise to me that this happened. This was super fun. So uh, thank you for helping walk me through some ACC players. Uh, I feel like we covered even more than just the, yeah. the five guys. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this was pretty thorough. So the, the people are going to get some some hashtag content with this one. So thanks, Brian. <laughs> Can you tell everybody where where to find you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for, for having me on. I had a blast. It went by really quickly, but I, I do know <laughs> I do know we tended to we ran a little long there. Yeah. Um read all of my stuff at accsports.com. At the top of the website, there's a tab called ACC Analytics, and that's where you'll find most, if not all, of like my deep dives that I do. It's a lot of draft stuff, but also like X and O's and what you know what you know Notre Dame is doing or what Duke is doing and a, a lot of its stats and film based and uh and then yeah follow listen if you're interested in the Hornets and we're gonna be doing more draft stuff too as the the season starts to wind down but the the Buzzbeat podcast you can find that on Spotify Apple on Twitter at Buzzbeat pod you can find all, all of our stuff there and including this is pretty cool we've got uh PJ Washington uh episode like PJ Washington came on with us earlier this week and that's going to be dropping uh i think in a day or two from now so pretty cool of of pj washington to stop by and uh chat that's it awesome. up a little bit so yeah keep an eye out for all of that yeah all right you heard the man uh brian geisinger go check him out go give him a follow 
and everybody else we will see you soon uh, to talk about the Knicks or the Strickland's first 2022 Knicks big board peace out y'all Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.